Hello and welcome to another episode of You Haven't Seen That, the podcast where we watch films that my co-host missed in his childhood. My name is Chris and I'm joined by said co-host, Eric. Hey everybody. And uh, what film are we doing this week? Um, we're doing The Dark Crystal. It begins as a quest. You must find the shard. The Crystal Shard. Now from directors Jim Henson and Frank Oz and Gary Kurtz, the producer of Star Wars, comes a new dimension of fantasy and adventure. Travel to another world, another time, in the age of wonder. The Dark Crystal. Jim Henson's uh, and Frank Oz's uh, feature film debut, actually. So did they write and produce, or like what was that? I thi- okay, so I know Frank Oz is co-director, because he was like, yeah. you know, the co-founder of the Muppets Studios yeah. with Frank, uh, with uh, Jim Henson and all that. Mm-hmm. Henson gets producer and story by credit. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's how the duo works. Kind of, yeah. And it's just that kind of... I think because it's such a massive undertaking, the idea of doing kind of dual-directed duties, I guess. And yeah. for the scenes where I'm behind a puppet, you can be behind the camera <laughs> yes. and vice versa. But, um, I mean, this is a massive, massive, massive mm. one. Probably, like, the, the maybe one or two biggest ones for my childhood... Yeah, which I found so weird when I first, like, years ago, you showed me, like, a trailer of this film. Yeah, okay, so... what? You grew up on this? Yeah, so my mum... Growing up, uh, my mum had, like, a bookshelf in the living room just chock full of bizarre and messed up fantasy books. Good mum. Yeah, great. (laughs) Like, so she was just like, I'm into this, so... Yeah, and it's rated G, which it's now been upped to PG. Oh, that's (laughs) okay. So she's like, yeah, no, this is fine, and it's, you know, puppets, the kids will love this, and it scarred my brother (laughs) and I. (laughs) So many nightmares, but, like... That, that thing of like when you're a little kid and you get nightmares but like you kind of love the thing that gave, gave you nightmares and you keep going back to it <laughs> you get more nightmares you get like Stockholm Syndrome from a film <laughs> yeah a little bit like The Land Before Time yes yeah. no, that's <laughs> different it. kinds of nightmares but um, that's like sad yeah sad yeah. and uh, Milo and Otis yeah oh yes definitely mm. although that's when I didn't realise how messed up it was until I was in my 20s and I was like I, I need to go and rewatch this and I, oh god I've never watched this as, a, as an adult and I don't it's, plan to it's um, really rough yeah but as a kid I think maybe it's more just that it was like any, any form of live action animals only film mm. is already a bit weird and even as a kid I found it a bit unsettling that's yeah because like, yeah some of the stuff in it yeah but um, yeah, no, I, I would I would put Dark Crystal alongside probably uh, Return to Oz as like my two Man. major childhood ones that had wow. an impact. Right, I haven't seen Return to Oz, but I can't imagine it's that much kinder, is it? No, it, it's about <laughs> on par in terms of like yes. nightmare inducing. Yes. <laughs> Explains a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but um, what do you, are your kind of expectations, or do you know anything about this one no, going so- in? So I did watch the trailer, a couple of trailers, literally a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, really, I, I didn't know much. I remember you showed me a trailer years ago um, alongside the, the Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that it was Henson and all puppets. Um, until we were talking about last week, I didn't realise maybe quite how hardcore the, the level of fantasy is. I knew it, it from the trailer, it's already weird enough. Like, they're not mucking around with friendly-looking puppets. No. <laughs> um, so you can already tell they're taking it pretty seriously. It's a little different. Um, 
But it wasn't even until I watched the trailer that I realized like it was called The Dark Crystal and clearly it's about a quest or something revolving around The Dark Crystal. Like I've never even stopped to think yeah. <laughs> like, about the title or anything like that. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I believe it's at least a world where the Dark Crystal holds the power, almost like maybe like a one ring to rule them all kind of situation. All right, yeah. But no, really, I don't, I don't know much, except um, everyone who I've spoken to says it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird in a wonderful way. Yes. And it, it's... It's like one of those films, like not to, I guess, hype it up before seeing you had to watch it. Um, it's like you can you watch it and you're like, wow, man, the 60s had an impact on Jim Henson's mind. Oh, cool. yeah. It's like, yeah, very much like just creativity and interesting design. and all Yeah, because so. I'm intrigued because like the Labyrinth I finally saw a, a number of years back mm. and it's it's pretty good. But like a few com- commentaries make on it, like it's only got like one memorable song. Yeah, a heap of songs, but like, and yeah, and like the creativity of it's pretty cool. It's a very fun children's adventure story, mm. I guess. Um, I mean, that's obviously. I think yeah. <laughs> Henson learned from this film, like, and then he hires Terry Jones from Monty Python to write the script for that. Yes. To be like fun adventure yes. and comedy versus <laughs> just let's go for it yeah versus yeah. just his mind unhinged I yeah. guess so. so um no I'm I'm definitely just intrigued for the um pure creativity and yeah and the puppets like I mean the Muppet movie having seen that now and just seeing like how cleverly and different all his Muppets were and that's different of course but mm. I'd be intrigued just to see his creature design like applying for more like fantasy creature and a building a world yeah so well they went straight from making the Muppet movie in 1979 into pre-production on this so this is so like what, immediately what year was this released Did... uh 82 was that old okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah but um yeah I mean Henson didn't direct the Muppet movie but he, no he yeah but this is like they're straight into like all right we're gonna we're able to do a feature length of puppets. Let's see what how far we can push that, I guess. It's a pretty logical steps. Like, okay, let's do like a full-on narrative. Yeah. Not that Muppet movie didn't have a narrative, but... But it was, yeah, a, a different kind of movie, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, um, should we jump into it then? Yep, let's go for it. Okie dokie, so that was the Dark Crystal. That was pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> it's um It's an interesting one, I think, where the watching it as an adult, I think this is just me mm. watching now. Um the story is very, very base, like in yes. terms of our protagonist and the main narrative. But the world it exists in is so fascinating and so interesting and so great to look at. Yes. Because yeah. our Particularly our main character is a big pile of nothing, really. Yes. <laughs> Jen the Gelfling. Um, yeah, he he reminds me of... Did you ever watch like the old Rankin-Bass cartoon version of The Hobbit? No. The greatest adventure is what lies ahead. Where it's pretty much... The, I mean, it's an adapt- two-hour adaptation animated The Hobbit, where... Yeah. But it's... I, Pretty much Bilbo doesn't talk. He's just like, 
They're like, you need to go and do this. And he's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> just goes into this way. It was the, the inspiration for Lemmy Winks and South Park. <laughs> it's oh, just like, yeah. you get told all of this information. It's like, hmm, yes, I can see you're scared. You must go do this now. <laughs> it's a protagonist that can't, it's just like, all right. And moves on. Yeah. That's essentially what Jen is. Yeah, like like you pointed out at one point, there was a, like the low point in the hero's journey. He didn't develop beyond that, except that like he cared for Kira. Yeah, they went to sleep and woke up and was like, oh, here's the shard that you threw away. You're like, all right, I'm ready to t- accept the burden again. Yeah, there's... <laughs> like, it, it's really interesting. Like, I, I forgot all about that stuff mm. and how it, it perfectly kind of... You know, the hero, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey and yada yeah. yada. But yeah, it, it just seems to not quite... He's, he, he gets the task done. Yes. Yeah. He gets the job done. Yeah. The film is super interesting and engaging when it's the world-building stuff. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jen is just kind of plugged in as yeah. a blank slate person to guide us through the world, essentially. Exactly. And I, I really liked the world. Mm. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, visually... They put a lot of effort into, well, I guess backstory-wise in terms of the universe um, and the creatures and stuff. Um, and then the the, cost, the costume design, character design. Yeah, or just, it's, um, he's credited as conceptual designs. And it's yeah, uh, okay. an artist by the name of Brian Froud, who was mm-hmm. a um, English kind of just bizarre fantasy yep. illustrator and artist. Perfect person and, for uh, it. Yeah. Yep. And basically, the Henson saw his artwork, and then the next day bought a ticket and flew over to England to meet him. Wow. Because he was like, I, I wow. need this guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was yep. basically, you've yeah, created this one way. I can bring these things to life. Can you help me make this story? Yep. And apparently, they just hung out in Scotland, uh, not Scotland, in the English countryside for a little while. And Henson was like, yep, this is the world I want. Hence, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of, you know, rocks and <clears throat> grass, like, you know, the field, when he's first leaving... Yes, a lot of very mossy sort of yeah. rolling hills and things like that. Mm. Um, not like a never-ending story where you get like thick swamp. Yeah, so you get like every scene there's a different environment almost. But yeah. Yeah. And so now the two of them just kind of teamed up and um, Brian Proud started designing all of the creatures and everything before the, there was even a script. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, weirdly, actually, the, the whole thing of the title of the da- and the story of the Dark Crystal yep. comes from Brian Proud mishearing Jim Henson on the phone. <laughs> and because Jim Henson had said, like, the Dark Chrysalis. Oh. Which is kind of more in time with the idea of, like, uh, the kind of evolution and, like, yes. becoming a... Thing and he and Brian Proud heard Crystal and then like designed all the all stuff, stuff around, around that. And Jim Henson was like, Ooh, that's good, let's go with that. <laughs> Hang on, we can have a fragment of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I cool. thought that was kind of interesting and weird and yeah. shows how it was just collaborative creative process making stuff. Yeah, it's quite interesting because, like, it is a relatively, like, for a film that is only 90 minutes long, mm. um, and is aimed at kids for some reason. I, it's, Puppets, I guess? I, oh, guess I don't know if it's aimed. I think maybe it just turned out that way because it sort of gets its G rating originally. Well, yeah, it's now been across the board re-rated PG, you know, Australia, yeah. US, UK, like everywhere. It's like, no, this isn't quite that. Little. No. <laughs> no. Um, but apparently, like, it, it is somewhat meant for kids. In um, Henson wanted to... His belief was growing up in, like, the Grimm Brothers fairy tales yeah. where... The, these fantasy stories were scary and I, he, yeah. he thought it was healthy for kids to be scared and embrace that emotion and kind of 
get some thrill and adventure from that. And yep. so that's was his kind of intention for this. But I think he might have gone a little overboard. Yeah, it's a funny one, like, because I didn't watch it as a kid. I mean, like... Oh, as, as someone who watched it a lot as a kid, I, yeah. He it, definitely got scar media. Like, oh, yeah. Like, everyone I spoke to, and, like, watching it, some of those scenes, like, where the podling gets its soul stolen and things like that. I won't hurt. We just want to drain your living essence. Then you can be the same as the other podlings here. A slave. Oh. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really awesome. It's mm. really well done. But also, like... Yeah, for, for young children watching that. Or the bits where, like, the um, the Skeksis are taking um, Chamberlain's outfit to make him an outcast. Yeah, where, like, where he's being and stuff. banished and, yeah, that's just horrifying. Yeah. Even as an adult, it's yes. disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> now, by the law, he must pay. Like the, just their character design, they're designed beautifully to look evil. Mm. Um, like without even before they even like start expressing themselves, and that's done really well. Mm. Um, so then when you hear him like whimpering as they're like w- ripping away his his royal robes and things like that, you're like oh, <laughs> <laughs> this has got dark. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, but um, I, I really enjoyed the the way the mystics and the Skeksis were always equal numbers. Yeah, and that whole thing, and. Even though I guess you probably could have picked it a little bit, the fact that they... I, I didn't really get it out of the initial exposition. They'd been split directly from the one race. That's where yes. they emerged from. They, the two races ex- uh, came into existence when the crystal cracked and the shard. Yeah. And that's kind of... The splintering of that created the splintering of the two... The, the really gentle... Two gentle creatures and yeah. then the two evil creatures. Yeah. Um, and even when you look at the design, you're like, oh, yeah, they've both got bird-like beaks and stuff. Yeah. Some are just like, they're slow and plodding and lovely. They have two, two sets of arms. They're very subtly there on the Skeksis, kind of under their... Yes, yeah, so they've got like real useless little, little T-Rex things. arms. Yeah. yeah. Um, funnily enough, though, at the end, when they join back together, they just turn into vertical ghost. Yeah. yeah. They like, look like demon ghosts. Yeah, they look like the Nine Kings from... Um... Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> like we're back to the Lord of the Rings again yeah there's, there's a lot of references like I don't it's I think it's a kind of two-way street in the sense of yeah this film is ripping off a lot of from pre-existing fantasy in particular Tolkien um yeah a lot of the obvious ones yeah the time it just borrows and and um and to help kind of create its own world I guess but yeah and then you can see how much this has made an impact on pop culture <laughs> like you know, mm. since it with um, just bizarre little ones. Like you were pointing out that the um, the Grimoth, the giant crab bug yes. beetle things that are uh, you know the Skeksis send out to capture Jen. Yep, are just Mirlocks from um, Fallout. Yeah, from Fallout Three and Four, they're just those big shelled creatures. Yep, <laughs> um, and I even looked it up just very very quickly. And like. Unconfirmed, but yeah. they look, they're like they look exactly like. <laughs> oh, so the article actually, actually saying like, oh, it's on a Wiki, Wikipedia sort of thing. Unconfirmed, but they are based off of. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like they just look remarkably like that. I'm like, yeah. yes, I do. Okay, and what that I said like mirror. It's like Maya Lurk. Right? Maya Lurk, I say it, but yeah, weird shelled swamp creatures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, and then like the, the 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 cool seeing eye bat kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like from memory from Lord of the Rings Sauron's eyes of the bats yeah or they're one of his sets of eyes at least yeah and uh, I think or the, the birds I- or whatever they were the idea of the evil castle and things like you know you've got yeah. Isengard and stuff there so yeah, yeah. 
You even got a fire pit in the centre of the castle. Yeah, pretty much. You've got yeah. to take the thing to the castle. Yeah, you've yeah. Got a, and you've got a neutral race taking it there. Yeah, kind of. Who who has a companion that follows along and yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, but um, yeah, the world in general. Like, there's an awesome scene just before he meets um, Kira. Yes. In and he's going through that foresty, swampy area, and it, they just show these really cool plants. And then that little animal runs along and then gets eaten by the mountain animal thing. And, yeah. And it's just like the attention to detail through there. And then even as they're trekking through the swamp, it's not a half-hearted, like, let's just shoot this in a forest kind of thing. Like, yeah. Let's make every plant count. It, it's a very basic, almost flat tracking shot. Mm. But there's so much depth within the shot and so much moving and life within it and bizarre creatures and all yep. this interaction that... You kind of forgive its simplicity of the way it's shot. It doesn't need to be shot no, fancy. It's, it's just a, the, the, the setting is alive. You've got yeah. foreground, yeah, you've got little creatures moving around. Um, so there's always something else to look at, but doesn't take your eye away from the main sort of um, the main characters. You've got a middle ground, you've got a, a background, and there's just stuff to look at. Yeah. And they change it enough um, but in between scenes and things like that. Yeah, and I think each, each of the major settings are so drastically different in the yeah. sense of... You know, when we're first at the beginning of the film, you've got the Mystics kind of village, which is like lots of wood and dust and dirt and very earthy. Yep. Uh, contrast with the Skeksis, which is just this hard stone, barren, jagged angles. And, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, you get your swamp, you get your kind of. You get the rocky area before he meets and the hilly sort of area where he, before he meets um, Augra. Yes. Yep. Yep. I mean, those cool, like, tentacle plants and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And then, like, the the, pod, the puddling village and things. Yes. And it's like all these wonderful different um, environments, but and that makes it kind of each stand out and be its own part of the world, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And George Lucas stole a few things. Yeah. Well, interestingly, <laughs> this film is produced by Gary Kurtz, mm-hmm. who was the producer of Star Wars. Ah, so he just he just borrowed the um the Ewok village from yeah, the Island Village. He was like, Hey George, check this out. This <laughs> just hands my, him a copy of Yeah, this the... is my material sort of. Yeah, but but I have to assume that's like he got involved because of working with Frank Oz in yeah. Empire Strikes Back and kind of that connection yeah. is how he jumped in. Cause it was originally uh, all the money and things was presented by uh, Lou Grade, who produced the Muppet movie. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, but then um, after the first kind of test screenings and stuff, was just like, I want my money back. <laughs> this will not make me anything. Yeah, you bankrupted me <laughs> essentially, and so Henson actually bought him out, and so oh. that's uh, why Henson owns all like the Jim Henson company owned the rights to oh, okay so that turned out well for him I guess I guess yeah I mean it didn't we'll, we'll made, get into what yeah. it made I doubt later, it would have but, made bucket loads but um mm. yeah but I think like that all came post a there was one legendary screening that was the original cut of the film yes which we kind of teased in uh, our last episode because uh, Tom uh, who was I guess last week uh, had seen this version as well as I have where the both the Mystics and the Skeksis uh, spoke their own languages. Without subtitles? Without subtitles. <laughs> uh, like, the only thing that kind of remains from it is uh, the Podlings having their own language in this film. Yep. But you have Kira as a kind of medium to kind of help translate yeah. for that. Um, so I think the only characters that initially spoke English were Jen, Kira, and Orga. And this is in the original cut? Yes, and, and it was 20 minutes longer. 
Wow. And did they have the massive exposition at the start setting up the world? I don't believe so. Oh. I'm pretty sure it's just silent with like glory shots of the Skeksis just like basking in the crystal. I mean, and... In a way that's kind of epic, but also that makes it very difficult for anybody to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. In terms of, yeah, the mass, like larger numbers of people to watch. Yeah, it, it, it makes it a complete, like... Yeah, very different film. What am I... Like, that, it's not a kid's film, first of De- all. Definitely like, not. They're gone straight away. Yeah, um, like, yeah, it's very interesting. That's like yeah. showing the pure, how much of a... Like, Henson was kind of shoehorned into that whole, like, children's entertainer route because of yeah, Sesame Street yeah. and Muppets and all of that. But you could see, like, at the heart of it, he was just... He's creative. A weird, interesting, creative yeah. dude who made it. Who wanted to make interesting stuff. And yep. And that. I, unfortunately, he was working in a medium where to be creative, it needed to also and be, have access to be that creative. He needed to be financially successful. Yes. Yeah. Things needed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That old thing. You can't just have like fifteen million dollars for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Not until you've really proved yourself. Yeah. Mm. But um. Yeah, so we were talking about Jen being a relative, just a vessel, yeah. <laughs> really, to carry the crystal. Yeah. Um, I loved Augra. What's it for? Hmm? Hmm? Is that what you want to know? You want to know what this is all about? Yes. <laughs> Augra is where the film, I think, if you don't insert that wild and crazy character at that point, mm. I think... Uh, you would have probably turned on the film. Yeah, she she really just you needed that eccentricity. Yes. Um, uh, so interesting, creative, still like insightful and, and helpful for the character, and and exposes like you know gets across exposition and yep. plot points in an interesting and creative way and it's bombastic yeah if she was just your good old fashioned old person in a tower that film would have been a lot drier. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, if she was your classic, just like blind old scientist man, yeah. Um, then like what we got in the Neverending Story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean is in like the little gnome? The, those two? Or? Yeah, like who have like the telescope and yes, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they're entertaining enough. Mm. But if that's what you got, then this would have really, um, yeah. And she, you know, she just added an extra level of energy. Like, the world was interesting enough, but the motion of the story and keeping you on track would have, uh, I think it would have really suffered, actually, without yeah. her. Because at that, up until, she comes in at around, like, the 15, 20 minute mark. Yeah, she comes in pretty early. Yeah, and I think up until that point, you you kind of, the film's skating by on design alone. Yeah, design, world, bit of intrigue, epic story yeah, sort of because thing. because up until that point, you've just been bombarded with, Backstory, kind of bland narration. Yeah, lots like, of it. Lots of it. That is, I, I get the the literary what he's doing in terms of the literary device in mm. that it's setting up the, the linkage between all of the characters involved. Yeah. And it, but it, it sounds like he's just repeating the same information over and over. Yeah. It's like we're, we're presented the Skeksis, their backstory, and the Emperor lays dying. Presenting the mystics, this is who they are, and their leader lays dying. Yeah. <laughs> this is Jen, our, who's going to be our protagonist. He's sitting here naked, playing a flute in a pond <laughs> for no reason. He for just, no reason, he just likes water. Oh, and his master's dying. Yeah, <laughs> just like I. Mm. And I didn't mind that, but exactly, if it hadn't moved on to something a bit more energetic, then yeah. he just would have been very tired before it, he got anywhere. It works as a really great like page and a half prologue for a fantasy yeah. novel, and I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. But then it just kind of plods along at that similar pace particularly until... because Jen is not charismatic in the slightest 
Master. Don't leave me. And I think that's somewhat, it, it's a fault twofold. One of it being a puppet. Yes. So it's not very expressive in no. the face. Um, and you can't make him wild and crazy. Yeah, and you know, the fact that you're staring at just like glass eyes. Like, so you can't really connect with the character there. Yeah. And second, the voice acting is... Yeah, it was not great, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean... Let's be honest, he wasn't given much to work with. Some of his lines were dreadful. I don't know that's, who wrote that. That's, is that Jim? No, uh, who is credited with the screenplay? Because his lines were mediocre. I'm not ready to go alone. All right? Alone, then. David O'Dell. Oh, who I'm going to look up, I believe, is just a Muppet performer. Okay, that would explain a little bit, perhaps, because... Um, yeah, because I, I, it's story by Jim Henson. Yeah. And then I think he was just, like, handed him, like, a madman... Like, a notebook from Seven. It's, <laughs> <laughs> like, the world of this film. There are 2,000 notebooks on these shelves, and each notebook contains about 250 pages. No dates. Placed on the shelves are no discernible order. Just as mine poured out on paper. Like, here you go, write the script. <laughs> Make them talk to each other. <laughs> He's like, uh, what, what? We need to fill the silence. Actually, maybe the studio, because it was all, um, actually, it was all um, in his head half the time. So perhaps the studio forced it in later. Po- quite possibly, actually. Okay, so he was a writer on The Muppet Show. Okay. Um, for, yeah, they're pretty, pretty much, uh, no, 1979 to 1981. Okay. Um... Post Dark Crystal, his his writing credits are not great. He made the 1984. He wrote the 1984 Supergirl movie with very, right. like that is awful. Is it, is it, yeah, okay. Um, they did it on a. Uh, there's a really fantastic uh, Best of the Worst episode that features oh, that. Dear. Okay. It's 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 pretty bafflingly bad. <laughs> And he also wrote Masters of the Universe, the horrible He-Man movie. Oh, dear. Which, I'm sorry to tell you that, that's on our list of to-do ones. <laughs> I'll watch that. Is that an Dolph animated? Lund- no, it's live action with Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Oh. Went back when Dolph Lundgren hadn't learned English yet. Oh, no. <laughs> He-Man, no! Tila, I have no choice. This is our fight. I don't want innocent people to die. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll watch that. Um, yeah, so his... I guess he kind of got shoehorned as fantasy guy post this, yeah. but not good fantasy. Just not a right... It doesn't seem like a natural dialogue guy. <laughs> I think in terms of a simplistic fantasy story, it, it works great. Yeah. But the dialogue is so stilted and so dry and so... Just, cl- just, just clumsy and pointless. It's yeah, clear. and mm. it's so easily fixed. There's like... Mm. I mean, the the example that jumps out is towards the end of the film, like when they're in the Skeksy Castle. And, yeah. Um, there was one point where Jen is like climbing the... He's in the sh- air and fire shaft with the crystal hanging above. Yeah. And he looks up and he's like... Is that the crystal? Where it's like just the simple fix of... Hey, the, like, hey, the, the crystal. There it is. <laughs> there it is. If you if you need to hammer home the point of him knowing and recognizing, telling the audience, there it is. Yeah, don't have your protagonist be continually questioning everything. He's meant, he's meant to know what's going on by now. Yeah, and I, I get how early it, you want him to be like Frodo, who early yeah. on is like, I don't know why I've been tasked with this yes. mission. I don't know much about this world, but by the end of it, he is a badass. <laughs> yeah, he knows what he's got to do. I yeah. Mean, 
Oh, his finger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, even by halfway through Fellowship, he's yeah, he's on point at the at the end of Fellowship when he's like, "I've got to do this alone." Yes, well, yeah, that's that's like the that, key yeah, exactly. moment. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Jen never has that. He's just continually blindly stumbling through this world. Yeah, and you don't <laughs> mind that to a point. He doesn't mm. have to become an action superhero, which Frodo doesn't. No, and. It's not fair to compare him to Frodo. No. You know. Bill. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he never... Yeah. Anyway, he doesn't get much to work with, and whether that's the writing or... And he never... Like, he's obviously very upset at the end when Kira um, gets 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 knifed. Yeah. Gets shivved. Um, and you know his connection to her. You don't... It's just companionship in general. Or I uh, guess the, or, the fact that they were the last two girlflings. Yeah, there's a few things there. It's not like they're trying to really set up any particular love story. or No, anything. but when they first meet and they're kind of tele, uh, telekinetic kind that, of... Yeah, that was good actually. Yeah, and it's a simple visual because this is a very visual film. It's visually storytelling and hammering home these points without yeah, so being... I mean, granted, there are some pretty horrible lines in that. Yeah, so this is when <laughs> they touch hands and they kind of immediately see each other's pasts yes so very quickly sums up where both of them came from when their parents were murdered by the Skeksis and their their um you know when the Skeksis committed golfing genocide yeah again this is not a kid's film <laughs> <laughs> but it's really quite a, I quite like that it's a good storytelling method of giving you both of their histories yeah quite and quickly nicely overlapping because for a second I'm like, hang on, why is he still in the pond? I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it also saves us from like that campfire scene where Jen's sitting there playing on his little flute and then he's like, oh, so where did you... Yeah, What's your story? And yeah. he would present it again, the story of how he was raised by the mystics. It's just the simple... Yep. We got that over and done with, which is great. Yep. But and you got a bit more depth for him and how he learnt writing. So you got yeah. some good information quickly. Mm. So when later on he encounters writing, you know he's already learnt it. Mm. And you know she already is at one with... Um, with nature and things like that. So you learn both of their the skill sets very yeah. quickly um, without wasting much time. Mm. Do you think um, Jen is kind of a bit of a lackluster protagonist because it, like we talked earlier about how there's the scene where he kind of rejects, you know, his quest and throws things. a crystal in the bushes for a while. Yeah, but he's continually bitching about what he has to do. Do yeah, and about how he doesn't know what he's doing and why. Yeah, he was given pretty weak ex- instructions, to be honest. Yeah, is that the fault of his mystic master? <laughs> I feel like the mystic taught him everything, but what really mattered? But his pure exit, like his reason for existing. Yeah, I guess like you know, it's, it's that classic one where the hero doesn't really know and mm. kind of doesn't need to, or else maybe he'd just run away. Yeah, and, and know, never mm. take on his burden, but. Um, you feel like maybe he could have taught him the geography of the land or something a bit more, or more concisely explained the pro- the prophecy to yeah, him. Yeah, or some something. He just yeah, he was, exactly. He was just lacking a little bit of backup from his uh, yeah, his, like his, a his conviction master. for his actions and what he's doing. Because otherwise, he's just wandering the world, just being like, ah, "Why am I here? This is weird." <laughs> like he's... Yeah, and the the only thing that drives him is um a medium to low level of loyalty to his master. <laughs> I guess, yeah. And it's, then, it's not even like his master, he, he definitely is very thankful for what he taught him, but he doesn't go, no, I've got to do this for the master. Yeah. There's no like real, like, I have to do it for him or anything like that. Mm. It's like, oh, I've been given this quest, I don't really want it. Yeah, I guess we'll go and do this. And then he meets Kira and he's like, well, she seems pretty stoked on this quest, so I guess I'll keep going. Yeah, I guess <laughs> she's the motivating factor I needed to just keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what makes it that, that little bit... 
Yeah, you just yeah. unfortunately him and him as the driving character is the one who really needs to carry it home, stops it from being. I, I really enjoyed the film. Yeah. Um, because the world was just cool, um, and like the Skeksis were just like their design, even their puppet motion, of course, yeah, was fantastic. Um, the final climax where in come the mystics at the last minute and then all of a sudden they're surrounding the crystal the, and all the great that, conjunction the great conjunction was really actually done really well and you didn't mm. quite see it coming that way um, and, and like building a quite a cruel world like that mm. makes it quite real in a fantasy sense um, but yeah unfortunately just Jen just um, he doesn't do anything except play the flute really nicely <laughs> Um, yeah. At the end, he does take his moment and he leaps and he yep. he does his what he. Should but he have drops done. the crystal doing it. <laughs> yeah. He's he's, mo- he's mostly bumbling. Yeah. Um, which, which, is, which is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't need to be a Superman. Mm. Um. But. But yeah. the film does hit its peaks in the more interesting characters, like Augur, who yeah. is so wild and interested, like. It's not just her design that gets her by. It is no. her sassiness, yeah. her, her kind of attitude. Her, her energy of movement. Yeah. That's, her voice acting, her passion. Anything could happen! I also think the Skeksis as well is yeah. they are so interesting and diverse and fun to look at. They're all different. Yeah. Yeah, which is good because obviously they get more screen time than the Mystics. The Mystics yeah. didn't need to be dramatically different because they were never going to get that much screen time by the looks of things. Yeah, you you don't necessarily need to know much about the good, the overly peaceful wizard guys who are v- like sloths. Yeah, you just know that they want what's definitely best for the world. Yeah, they, they mean to bring peace back to the world. Cool, that's a very simple... And they can't do it themselves because they're, just, they're not the Skeksis. <laughs> yeah, um, but when, but knowing the intentions of the villain is more important, yeah. which is what, you know, we're... And getting... even their little their infighting scene after the Emperor dies, you get <sighs> such a good insight into how a Skeksi operates, and that is selfishness. That's my favourite scene. Like, that is the scene yeah. that is just burned yeah. into my memory for from childhood years. Like, Trial by stone. I challenge! Trial by stone. Trial by stone. Trial by stone. Because they're like, okay, there's nine of you left now, and they still want to kill each other. Yes, <laughs> like they are still fighting over yeah. who has the power yeah. of. And you're just like, that sums up those characters, those creatures. Yeah, beautifully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you're presented the wonderful puppets. Battling for supremacy by hitting scimitars against the flint stone. Yeah, and one of them <laughs> chopped it in half. Yeah, <laughs> I, to, in my eyes, he deserves to be boss. Yeah, <laughs> if that's the objective. The, the two, like, like the two things that stand out, like indefinitely for me, are him screaming, Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Yes. <laughs> that, all I could think of was Robot House. <laughs> Robot House. <laughs> But he's got like that weird kind of wave, gravelly wave. Like, yeah. Chamberlain! <laughs> like, yeah, that's what made me think of it. Yeah. And then, of course, Chamberlain's whimpering is oh, yeah. so iconic for yeah. me and so simple. Oh, like, you couldn't stop laughing every time he made the noise. He's, and he's just got, he's designed to have, his, his beak has the smile yeah. to it that none of the other ones do that you just kind of like, what's with this guy? 
And it makes you think, maybe he's good, but no, he's a Skeksy, he cannot be good. That's that's what's so interesting yeah. about them as characters, is yeah. when he shows up at the old Gelfling ruins and tries to convince Jen and Kira, like, friend, help! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're like, it, it makes you question, yeah, actually. Maybe? And then you're like, no. Because he was banished and shunned because from the others, he's like... Because he's so evil, he's just like, well, screw them. I'm yes. gonna, like, be so evil and to, like, you know, screw them. Destroy over. their plans. Yeah, but it's it's not, it's so interesting. Yeah, you're like, that's actually quite well done. You're like, no, he just is weaseling his way back into that society. It, it's that selfish, horrible nature that they are summed up as. Yeah, and that's actually done really, really well. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he's quite a good character. Um, and then even just, like, yeah, the fun design of a couple, like, you pointed out the one painted up, like, Louis the Fourteenth or something. There's like. a wonderful scene, po- like, after they've crowned the new emperor where they're having a dinner banquet and they've done up, like, <laughs> French aristocrats. Yes. With, like, the white... He's got, like, a powdered face. Oh, they just need the white wigs on top and yeah. it would be perfect. Oh, it's an elegant dinner party. <laughs> I love as well, like, the simplicity of the design of their cutlery. They have yes. like these little spear things on the end of their it's fingers. Attached with their fingertips. That's great. Like, that's genius. <laughs> oh, oh. It's, it's the little things in this movie. It is, isn't it? Like all the other creatures, like um, what's a little dog called again? Vizgig. Yeah, like he, he is such a muppety creature. Okay, he's so right. he Henson did not want Fizgig in the film. Really? So apparently, I, I can understand why. Yeah. It was around the time on the Muppet Show where they gave Miss Piggy a pet dog, who oh, I think okay. was called like Princess. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Precious, but I'm like, that's a different film. <laughs> <laughs> it rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. Yes, you will, Precious. You will get the hose. But I think it was like Princess or something, and it was a little like Chow Chow, like kind of annoying yeah. dog that Kermit hated Kermit and like yeah. ah, ah, funny yeah. <laughs> um, so Frank Oz was like oh we should give her a dog like like princess and Jim Henson was like nah, I, no no <laughs> that does not like that's too muppety and blah yeah. blah and Frank Oz was like I, I really think we should do it and Jim Henson's like fine because apparently Jim Henson just hated having to say things twice <laughs> Sounds like a very easy guy to do. Yeah, it's just like, ugh, All right. I don't like repeating myself. Fine. You win, Frank. <laughs> just out of sheer, like, I told you once. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was such an energetic little, yeah. little Muppety. Like, there were only a couple of really Muppety moments, as, as I'd call them. It's them and the, um, the Podling Village. Yeah. Like, the energy and the movement and the mouth movement and... Even just the floppy hand movement. Yeah, the, the podlings kind of reminded me... Yeah, like you pointed out, it's... You said while watching, like, are we in the Ewok village now? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's very much like that, and it kind of, by way of, like, Fraggle Rock, almost. Yes. Yes, because, like, the one playing the drums was Animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, like, on the note of Fraggle Rock, um, did you ever watch that show? No. Oh, no. man. That, that was, again, like, big Muppet fan. <laughs> yeah. Um... This is for my my fellow Muppet heads out there. <laughs> this little bit of trivia I found. Apparently, after um, Jen and Kira go into the demon mouth sewer grate thing... Which actually is one time when Jen is like, no, we have to go in here. Yes. Like, actually takes charge. He, takes, actually, yeah, mm. he leads him into Shelob's lair for all you... <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently in Shelob's lair, they originally... This was all, was all cut from the film. Yeah. Ran across a tiny... Like, they were like miniature little 
guys who were little miners who had like little hard hats and were mining the underground world. Oh, that's awesome. And they cut them out of the film and then repurposed them as the race of called the Dozers in Fraggle Rock. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's recycling your materials. See, that's it. It's yep. like, well, we came up with this cool little underground miner guy's idea. Let's yep. let's keep this going. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. Good on him for using that. Ingenuity. <laughs> yes. yes. But, yeah. I don't know. Like, um, were there any other kind of scenes that stood out to you or characters or anything that was... Um, oh, I mean, I love the design of um, of Augra's, even her just cool planetarium yeah. thing. Like, it's just, just, and then even just the way, the moment when the, I keep forgetting the bad, evil creatures, the, the scarab creatures. Uh, the Garfin. The Garfin, yeah. Even when, like, they appeared and started kicking down the windows and the walls. Like, that was done really well, mm. actually. And as well, a similar creature um, with the galloping. Gallop, oh, the Landstriders. The Landstriders, which... Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen those sorts of circus performers before, and I guess anyone who's seen The Lion King, that's how they do the giraffes from memory. Oh, okay. Um, the stage show, I mean. Um, yeah, humans in costume with their legs and arms on stilts. And yeah. they were, yeah, they were just awesome. Yeah. I mean, Kira basically rides them to their death. Yeah, I think they, they charge them, like, and she kind of... She's like, we're going to sacrifice these two creatures to save some podlings. But they seem willing, though. They like, did seem willing. Especially that second one. Like, Jen jumps off initial, uh, like yes. immediately, and then that thing's just like... Gets in there. Into battle! <laughs> <laughs> Starts sticking the boot in. Yeah. Um, so those yeah, those sorts of creatures. And then even um, when he's stuck in the pond, and then like... That wonderful... That wonderful just pond creature. Just She sings him up, and he rises yeah. up out of the water, and just starts eating some... Grass in the yeah, background. for the rest of the scene, just back there eating moss, eating some moss while they chat in the foreground. Mm. And so, yeah, a lot of those things were really and were really lovely, and just kind of really yeah, built that world that yeah. makes this movie. If it was very plain, you'd be like, Meh. I don't see the appeal and like why no. this is considered a cult, yeah, classic and things. Um, similarly, on that note of you know the the interesting design and stuff, I think the other thing that kind of hammers home the kind of interesting fantasy storytelling aspects is the music. Yes, I did like the music. Mm. Yeah, like just early on, as soon as the score starts sort of kicking in. Yeah. um, It has a very iconic kind of theme that keeps getting mm. repeated throughout whenever you see the actual crystal itself. And yeah, yeah, it's... And then like, I remember it um, when that he was, um, Jen was in the cave following Augra and then um, then the door opened and showed off her planetarium-y thing. Swell. Yeah, and you're like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, Trevor Jones doing the music. He did a he did a wonderful job. I yeah. Think. <laughs> yeah. Elements of it. I did ask you if it was John Williams because parts of it early on, I'm like, this sounds. It's the trumpets and the strings that do it. It is, isn't it? So I'm like, it sounds quite Star Warsy. And actually, just before that's right. That's why I remember the Augur part. Leading up when he was sort of entering that cave, it was all harp harp music, mm. and it reminded me of Zora's domain from Legend of Zelda: Ocarina <laughs> of Time. I was like waiting for him to emerge into something because I just like that sort of it just felt sort of like yeah the way it was building I mean even the way the scene was set he's gonna yeah. see something in there no and then why else opened. would you go in a cave yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then it just opens into the Tomb Raider set yes basically <laughs> Daniel Craig in the background yeah <laughs> 
Um, I guess, was there anything else you wanted to, uh, yeah, before you kind of wrap up? I don't think so. I think those are the key things. I, um, I guess basically as an adult. Yes. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. No, no, that, I, I think if it was the extra 20 minutes long, maybe I might have struggled. Yep. Like the, that 90 minute length just made it really easy to, to enjoy. Yeah. If, if this was close to two hours long. Yeah. Would... And I could see why they'd go for that, but, um, general's strong enough. Yeah. Uh, so no. you just get lost. I think. Um, as a kid, I think if I watched it at the right age, like I think if I watched it at the age of four, yeah. I would have been terrified. Yeah. Um, I think if I watched it more at like the age of 10, 12, I think I probably would have been fairly scared, mm. but still I probably would have really connected with it then. Cause yeah. I've always loved fantasy worlds and things like that. Um, always read a lot of fantasy books and stuff so that the story stuff would not have been an issue for me at all yeah it purely would have been the puppets and they would have been like weird but um i think i would have been on board yeah and just being able to connect with the design and everything it's yeah, yeah. It's so fantastical and as a kid like yeah i think as a kid you you connect with it being like wow it's yeah. just and like it, nothing i've ever seen whereas as an adult i think you connect with it like how did they make that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like as a kid, yeah, I think once again, the well-constructed world would buy, would, would make you be drawn in. Mm. Like even the podlings being turned into slaves and every, every little bit, like the world, it's a world. Yeah. Um, they, they've done it really well. Even the ruins, the, the girlfriend ruins and things like that. Every little bit. It's like, no, this is a pretty well put together world. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. yeah, as a fantasy world, I thought it was pretty solid for just being squished into 90 minutes. Yeah. No, it, it, I, um, I adore this film, and yeah, I think it's largely due to growing up on it, but yeah. also like appreciating it for yeah. the supreme craft behind the making puppet it. Puppet work, the puppet design, like the facial design of everything. Like, yeah. Um, on that note, do you want to uh, hear a little bit of uh, some facts about it? Yep. Uh, so the film had an estimated budget of fifteen million, which. That's Every the... bit of it's on screen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it went on to gross $41 million at the box office. All right, they'd be happy enough with that. Uh, adjusted for inflation, that's around $143 million. Oh, they'd be really happy with that. Yeah, it was yeah. the 16th highest grossing film of 1982. Really? Yeah. Uh, coming in behind another film we've already done on this podcast, which came in at number one, E.T. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was also nominated for one BAFTA for visual effects. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yep. But I, I was wondering if this film was, came out before art direction was an Academy Award. Yeah. And like set design and things because... Like... Wow. Yeah, it's really a nomination. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that might not have... Exc- might have been, No. Yeah. But um, I don't have any real alternate casting for this one because it was... You know, that whole thing. I mean, Frank Oz initially did the voice of Augra, but it was too close to Yoda, so they got Billy Whitelaw, this awesome British actress. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. I, although, that being said, knowing it's Billy Whitelaw now, I couldn't help... Every time Augra <laughs> spoke, I'm, I just had the image of her doing her crossword at the pub in Hot Fuzz. You must be Sergeant Angel. Yes, I am. I enjoy Cooper. I trust you had a pleasant trip. Fascist. I beg your pardon? System of government characterised by extreme dictatorship. Seven across. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. Yes, that's right in the hotel or whatever it is. Yeah, that's that's all I had in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess that'll probably wrap us up talking about uh, The Dark Crystal. Yep. It's time to pick... The next film. We only have two left. Yeah, we're um, 
we're running out in the um the, the initial batch. Yep. So if you have any suggestions for uh, other ones we should add in for our next round of hat uh, of the hat, please uh, send them through. But yeah, because the list is being finalised. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is I'm just laying two pieces of paper in front of Eric, and he picks one, and mm, that'll be the next. That one. Oh, dirty dancing. Ooh. <laughs> now this is gonna be interesting. This is a film I've only ever seen once before. Yeah, this is a film where I feel like maybe I saw the first ten minutes once. Yeah. Um, and I guess we'll talk about it a bit next week, but it's, it's not in there because it's a film I really want to watch. No. But it's just, it's, you know, it's quoted it, all the time. It's such a big deal from that time. It, it's, it's an crazy. iconic film yeah. for people of our generation, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we should uh, yep. give it a look-see. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jump back into some Swayze. Oh, yeah, get some Swayze on the screen again. Hmm. But, um, yeah, otherwise, uh, like I said, if you have any suggestions for what should go on our next round uh, of The Hat... Please send us an email at haven'tseenpod at gmail.com or you can uh, find me on Twitter at CriterionQuest, which is the name of the other podcast I do. Um, otherwise, we'll be back in a fortnight's time. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm Eric. We'll catch you next time. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.